Good morning. You know, as Ruth was uh, talking to people who might be watching online from warm places, <laughs> my mind was going somewhere else. I was thinking, you know, what would it be like if I got everybody to take your cell phones out and we, and we text bombed Pastor Anthony saying, Florida sucks. <laughs> uh, now, I'm guessing that that was not a spirit-empowered uh, thought at that point, but... Uh, Hey, it's good to have you here this morning, and uh, let, me just, let me just stop for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> this morning we have already been singing about your kingdom, and, and Lord, may your kingdom come, and, and may your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven, and, and Holy Spirit, we know you're present here, and we, have, we've, we sang to welcome you here, and I, I want to pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you would just feel the freedom to, to fill this room, to fill this place. And Lord, even as I'm speaking this morning, it, it's, sometimes I feel intimidated because you said that when we're speaking your word, it, that actually the Spirit can use it and, and have the authority of the words of God himself. And, and so, Lord, I feel really humbled this morning to be here, but also grateful that you have given us your word. And so may you just open it up for us this, as we study and as we, as we share it today. In your name, Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so I want to start off just by telling you that uh, I, I'm an introvert. And you know, so uh, as introverts, we, we tend to actually enjoy people like I'm not an extreme. I'm just a sort of an introvert. So I, I enjoy people, but if I spend a lot of time with people, it kind of sucks energy out of me. Now, if you're an extrovert, and, and Pastor Anthony, he's an extrovert. He just loves spending time with people. And, you know, if you're an extrovert, you actually leave and you're supercharged and you've got more energy after you've been with people. And so, so kind of being an introvert, when I travel alone and if I'm on a airplane traveling alone, one of the things that I just really don't enjoy doing a lot is, is talking to the person in the seat next to me. I don't know. Anyone else? Feel like, yeah. No, you're not going to be very honest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, I'll, I have my headphones or my earbuds, and I put them on, and I make sure everyone sees, you know, I'm getting up my tail. You know, and, and so that's kind of like how I like to dry, fly when I'm on my own. But every once in a while, the Spirit just kind of says, you know, Rod, I want you to speak. And I remember I was on a plane uh, when I was working at Fort St. John, and I was flying down to Calgary, and my seat was the very last seat in the plane, my favorite place to sit on the airplane, right at the back against the bathroom bulkhead. And, and I walked over, and I sat down right next to a young lady, and, and as I was sitting down, it was like the Lord was saying to me, Rod, I want you to talk to her. I'm like, okay. And, and so, you know, I started off you know, with the, you know, the really polite, you know, so where are you headed today, and, and, uh, and how are you doing today, and, and, and oh, and what, what do you do for a living, and, and when I got to that one, she, she, we were talking together, and, and she says, well, I'm an exotic dancer, so in layman's terms, that's a stripper, uh, <laughs> and now there's a whole bunch of different directions that my mind could go at that moment. And I was just thinking, awkward, and I hope I don't, you know, I could stuff, stuff my foot in my mouth in so many different ways, but I didn't. And then she asked me, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I thought, well, this should end this conversation quickly. <laughs> I said, well, I'm a pastor. 
And uh, she said, oh. And then she kept talking to me. And then as we were talking, I just asked her, I said, so, so, so where are you headed? What are you, what are you doing? Where are you, where are you going today? She said, well, I, I'm heading down to, Cal- to Calgary, and then I'm, actually, my, my daughter's been taken away from me because of, of drug and alcohol problem and my lifestyle. And, and, and so I'm really hoping I can make some changes. I, what I actually really want to do is get my daughter back. And so we talked about that, and we actually spent the entire hour talking together. And over the course of that hour, I got the opportunity to speak into her life, and, and she was talking about, you know, I, I really want to make some changes, and I gave her a little suggestion when maybe a career change might not be a bad idea. And uh, so in the end, I had the opportunity. I actually shared my faith story with her a little bit. And as we were landing, I, I asked if she would like me to pray with her. And if she'd allow me to pray with her. And she said, yeah, I'd appreciate that. So I got a chance to pray with her. And, you know, no, she didn't come to faith that day. And I've never seen or heard of her since that day, I, even though I did give her my business card and said, you know, if you're in Fort St. John, you need to talk to somebody. I've never heard from her. I'll, I'll only find out in heaven, you know, what kind of results came from that. But for me, the main thing was in that situation was, to just be obedient and say yes to the Lord. And so, we're going to be studying the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking about the ongoing ministry of the church, because you know what? I don't believe that the book of Acts is a closed book. I believe that Luke wrote it, and he wrote about the beginning of the church and the beginning of Jesus' ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of his disciples, and the disciples taught it to other disciples, and guess what? It got passed down and passed down and passed down, and it has reached us. And so I believe that we are still writing the book of Acts because the ministry of Jesus' church and Jesus' ministry is not finished, it's still going. (coughs) And in this text, it starts off with Jesus saying to his disciples, he'd been with them for 40 days after his resurrection, and they're in Jerusalem, and he starts off by saying, after his suffering... He showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God and on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, after Jesus' resurrection, Luke writes that he spent 40 days together with people and he spoke with them and they heard him. They actually spent time with them. They were able to eat with him. And then on this occasion, he was actually eating together with his disciples. And I, you know, one of the things about the Christian faith that I love and about scripture is that it's so provable. There were over 500 people during that time who saw and met and became eyewitnesses of the reality of the resurrection. And the resurrection actually proved everything that Jesus had taught and said and done. And and so those people became eyewitnesses. They had the evidence, not only of his teaching and his works, but he was right there with them. You know, in a court case, a case can be proved with circumstantial evidence, with clues and with evidence and things found on the scene of a crime. But you know what? If there is an eyewitness, that changes the whole case. If there is someone who can say, I saw this. This is what I saw. 
it changes that course in case into a very winnable case. And together with the evidence, becomes very provable. And Jesus, Jesus allowed people to see him so that we would have eyewitnesses. And you know what? Our society today is no longer really arguing. You know, when I was in Bible college, society was talking about a mythical Jesus, a mythical Christ. Did this person really exist? But with research and archaeology and, and studies, people are no longer asking about, was he real? People are now believing this was a real person. They're not believing in him, but they still are beginning to realize he's a real person. And then what Jesus does next is he, he asks his disciples, he says, wait in Jerusalem. Like, why would he say wait? He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, it's because without the Holy Spirit, they would not be able to accomplish Jesus' ministry. Now, I think about myself, and, and, and in, even over the course of my career as being a pastor, you know, there are so many times, because I have ideas, and I think my ideas are all great ideas, and they should be happening immediately. And away I go, and I am off down the path, and, and doing my thing, and all of a sudden I remember, and I just say, oh Lord, could you bless this? <laughs> and I've just been doing it on my own. And I have to turn around, and I have to say, I'm sorry. Let's do this a different way now. And so Jesus knew that his disciples were going to be up against an enemy and that because they were going to be going into enemy territory, he knew that they were going to become special targets. And you know what? For those of us who are engaged in Jesus' ministry for the kingdom, we are special targets of the enemy. And we need the Holy Spirit in the same way that these disciples needed the Holy Spirit. And my finger just jumped me way forward. <laughs> and so, Jesus, who knew their capacities, their weaknesses in here, humanity, he knew also that we have a fallen nature in us. And he knew that, that we had the capacity to sin and to go our own way. And so Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to send another one. He will be a counselor. In fact, the word in, in Greek, the word is called parakletos. And it's a word that you can hardly really even uh, explain it or, 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 or give a one-word definition of it. It, it means something like... Uh, if, a, if there's a stormy ocean or a stormy sea and a small ship is bobbing along and under real fear and real threat of being, of being swamped and sinking and a large ship pulls alongside it upwind and protects it from the wind. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit does. That's kind of what the word parakletos means. Is it means the one who will be with you. And that's what Jesus was promising to these disciples he said, he will be with you. In fact, he will be in you. Now, as I was talking to some of the staff and we were discussing some of the things I was going to be sharing, you know, a few of them were saying, oh, you know, there's kind of a lot of different kinds of ideas about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to do a sermon on the Holy Spirit, but just a couple of things I kind of want to have us be clear about as I'm going forward. The one thing is that when we accept Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, in his first sermon, he said, 
You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for those far off, meaning really us today. Now, it wasn't Jesus' intention that we just receive the Holy Spirit. It was his intention that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people, when they come to faith in Christ, they are filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment that they make that decision. The Holy Spirit enters them, and they have an incredible experience of being filled. For some people, that comes sometime later. And that's not, it's not that important about the timing and the order, but what Jesus really wants us to do is to make sure that we are filled. And in fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's actually an active tense verb, which means keep on being filled by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? It's our choice. It's our choice if we're going to be Spirit-filled or if we're going to do it on our own and do it in our own way. In the Alpha Course, Nicky Gumbel talks about the Holy Spirit kind of being, he uses the analogy of a, of a hot water heater, the older style that still had the pilot lights and, and uh, a gas flame on the bottom. And he said, it's like when you receive Jesus Christ, the power, the pilot light gets lit. <clears throat> but we have to intentionally turn the temperature up on the dial. And when we do that, then the entire burner just bursts into flame and, and the flame comes and, and it's got enough heat that in a couple of minutes it's able to heat an entire tank full of water. Now some people are those, like that Holy Spirit filled kind of people but some Christians never move beyond the point of being pilot light. You know what? He's there but he doesn't have much opportunity in our lives. And you know what? I believe that it's kind of like we're a house. And as we open more and more doors and more and more areas of our life, the Holy Spirit is able to take over more and more areas of our life and empower us and help us to walk in His power. You know, with uh, our plans of moving forward with church renewal, uh, a number of us, our elders as well as our staff, we're kind of in stage two of our preparations right now and we're going through a discipleship course in preparation for, for our plans for next fall which is to begin introducing some really awesome courses that we're going to be doing over and over again here in the church. But as we are going through these, uh, this discipleship, you know, we are starting like at square one, at, at, at point A. And that is learning how to hear God speak to us. Do you know that, in fact, we were singing that, that God speaks to us. God, speak, God will speak to us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us. Jesus will speak to us if we're willing to listen. And so we're excited about actually the Hearing God course and bringing that. And, and I know that there are many of you that this is nothing new. But maybe for some of you this morning, this is something completely new for you. And it's something that I would just suggest and encourage you to look further into it. To ask the Lord if he'll start speaking to you. Because you know what? He will. And so we're looking forward to moving forward. But the other thing that, that this text tells us is that the Holy Spirit will give us power. But not just for itself. It's not power just because, Rod, you're so good. I want, you know, I'm going to give you power. No. He actually gives us power for a purpose. And that purpose is for Jesus' ministry. 
goes on here in, in the text, and it says, so that when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now you see, in that context, most of the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, but the Messiah that they were waiting for was going to be a political leader, a political ruler who would lead them in rebellion against Rome and the domination of Rome and would free Israel to become a world power once again. And the disciples continued with that thinking and continued to be confused that Jesus' kingdom was an earthly kingdom when he said, no, my kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. But you know what? At this meeting, this is the last time they ever get confused about what Jesus' purpose is. Because in just a few days, everything is about to change. And once they had received the Holy Spirit, as he had been poured out for all of us for all time, once they had received the filling of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' purpose and his plan were absolutely crystal clear, and they came into focus. You know what? Jesus never has meant for us to figure out his purposes and plans for us on our own. He invites us to ask him. He invites us to seek it out from the Holy Spirit. And if we will ask him, he will help us and he will guide us and he will show us the plan that he has for us. You know, if we try to do Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit, we just won't get it. And you know, most people that try to do that, they either wander off in a different direction or they just simply lose interest after a while. And I've seen that happen in people's lives and it, it is so sad. I, I had an individual that I mentored for an entire year and then some tensions at home kind of caught his, his interest and his time and I watched as slowly he kind of got cooler and cooler and slipped further and further away and whatever I did... It just wasn't, wouldn't bring him back and, and eventually he just kind of walked out of the church and out of my life. And that's what happens when we go it alone. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you power. And the book of Acts is intended to be not only history, but it's also an instruction manual. And Jesus teaches us that his ongoing ministry through the Holy Spirit is empowered to reach the entire world. And in fact, this verse that I'm going to read, is like, it's like the hinge point. It's the key verse of the book of Acts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he promised us he wouldn't leave us to do it on our own. In fact, we can't, as I said. Now, I just want to look at three ways that Jesus promises to empower us to be able to do his ministry. There are many other ways, but I, I have the time to take a look at three of kind of the most direct ones here in this text. The first one is courage. You know, when we look at Peter, Peter was this kind of arrogant, very self-confidence, fisherman, strong, burly, and he, he, he was the one that would always step out. He was, he was brave, but in fact, lots of times he was rather foolish and and in fact, on the night Jesus was crucified, Peter stood there and Jesus said, you're all going to deny me. And Peter stepped up and he said, not me, Lord. 
He said, I'm going with you. I'll be with you all the way. Later that very night, he stood in front of a little girl and lied about ever having known Jesus, and he denied his Lord. But you know what? After the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood in front of the very same crowd of people who had just killed Jesus. And he shared with them, and he, he was a person who was changed. He was transformed. He was on fire. You see, everything that Jesus had taught them had come true. Now, some of the things that Jesus taught them were not actually just all about encouragement and great success and everything's going to go your way. In fact, he said this to them, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of me. And this will result in you being witnesses to them. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Wow. And all men will hate you because of me. And then he says this. He says, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. What Jesus was saying here was, guys, it's going to be a challenge. This is not going to be an easy path. This is going to be tough. In fact, some of you are going to die, and we know from history that all of the remaining 11 disciples, except for John, who got exiled to the island of Patmos, all of them were killed for their faith, for sharing the gospel of Jesus. But they were willing to sacrifice the earthly things for something far more important. And it was Jesus' promise of life. And you know what? If we are willing to be courageous, if we'll step out of our comfort zones, you know what? There will be a cost. There may be some heavy costs. But I can, I can confirm this with you, that you will inherit something far, far greater than just the cares of this earth. I look back at the story I shared at my introduction. You know what? That conversation was not a huge leap of courage. You know, all I was doing was just, I had listened that time, and I spoke, and I, I obeyed the Holy Spirit, and like I said, I don't know what the impact of that was, but the Holy Spirit takes the things that we do, and when we are obedient, and he will use them, and so I'm hoping someday to hear that maybe it did make a difference. The second thing that he gives us is words. He gives us the words to speak, and some people are gifted with teaching and preaching, and, and I think of myself, and I'm up here preaching, but you know what? This is not probably my greatest gift. I've got other gifts that I have, I'm much more comfortable using while I enjoy preaching. You know, I, I often call myself a gap filler. You know, I, I enjoy spreadsheets. I enjoy uh, working on organizing things and making flow charts. People think I'm really, really strange. Uh, but that's kind of what I've been gifted to do. But some others have been called to, to preach and teach. And others of you, you've got different gifts. And God actually has given all of us different kinds of gifts because all the gifts are needed in the church. And one of the things that we are gifted with is we're gifted with a story. We're gifted with a faith story. You know what Peter did the very first time he spoke? He shared his faith story. He shared what, ha what he had seen, what had happened. And the response that 
took place that day. He didn't get killed. 3,000 people came to faith that day. You know what? We can all share our story. Jesus says this to us. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist and contradict. People might not believe everything that we say, but they cannot contradict it because it's my story. I was there. But I want to encourage you, keep on moving, keep on growing, keep on studying. Spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer so that your faith story, you can add to it the power of Scripture and you can add to it the power of the Holy Spirit and it becomes even more powerful of a witness. And then thirdly, as we read forward, we see that the Holy Spirit brings power, supernatural power. When Jesus was sending out the 12 disciples, he said this, he said, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. <clears throat> Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those with leprosy. And drive out demons. And folks, I want to say this morning that I believe that, that the book of Acts is true. And I believe it's real for today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can and does equip us with power. Supernatural power. In 2012, there's a group of four of us that went out as a prayer team to visit one of our international workers, Colette Bidet, in Conakry, Guinea. And as we spent, we spent quite a number of hours just praying with her and praying through things that were happening. And, and she had spent about 12 years of her life in the ministry she was doing. And at that time, it was a radio station and it was a rescue center for kids. And some of the new ministries that she has going, they weren't even happening yet. And after we had been with her for a number of days, she shared with us, I want to, she said, I want to share with you a prophecy. I've been very careful. I haven't talked to anyone else about this yet. She said, I believe the Lord has been telling me through, through, his, through his spirit that there's going to be a breakthrough in Guinea. But it's going to be a breakthrough that's going to come with power and with miracles. And she said, I've kind of been hesitating to, to share that with some of my field representatives because it's not always the language that we use. And you know what? Two years ago, she began working together with, one of her, with her pastor of her church and they launched a, an hour of healing prayer ministry on the radio station. And people began to phone in and to ask for prayer and healing started happening on the telephone while they were praying with people, while he was praying with people. And then he would stay and he would keep on praying after the hour was over. And there was such an outpouring and a response, they actually opened a prayer and healing center and now they have a, about a dozen people working in that center. And I can tell you from her testimony that Muslims are coming to the faith by the hundreds because they're responding to the message of truth and of power. Adeline and I heard the same message when we were in Egypt earlier last year. And as we were talking with the team working there, they were saying that, that Muslims are coming and talking to them about dreams and about visions. And they're, having, they're experiencing healing in their lives and they're questioning it. And it's giving our people an open opportunity to share the gospel. And God is bringing Muslims to himself in Egypt. Jesus said, all power has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And he said, and now, friends, I'm giving it to you. And the disciples passed that power down and it's been passed down and now that power is passed down to us and it's available to us.
I can tell you, I can share of numerous experiences just right here in our church of people who have experienced both physical, medical, and, and spiritual healing of all kinds, you know, during our elders' prayer, through our Alpha Course and the Holy Spirit Encounter weekends, through the soul care that's happening in our women's ministry, in life groups, as life groups are praying together, and some of you praying one-on-one, believing that Jesus will answer his promises, and he's doing it. And I hope that you're encouraged, and we need to continue stepping out of our comfort zones, believing that he's going to do it, and he's going to do it with power. You know, if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, I've never experienced that kind of thing, uh, and you know what? Every, at the end of the service, we always invite people to come down for prayer. And maybe today would be the day that you want to come down and say, I would like to experience that fullness, that presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to do it today, and I would just invite you to come down. And then the third point I want to just touch on today is our mission. Jesus does not just give us power. He gives us power for a mission. Luke ends his gospel in the book of Luke saying this, Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the ongoing ministry of Jesus and it's our mission today. It's reaching the entire world. There's an entire world out there in front of us While the disciples were to start in Jerusalem, Jesus' plan was that the gospel was going to extend and expand and expand until it had reached the entire known world of his day. And it's the same mission that he's got for us today. And you know what? Our task this morning, I want to just shift the focus a little bit. And I just want to focus on our task as a church as we look at Jesus' commission, his commission to us. And just to look at some of the things that he is doing and some of the challenge that's still out there in front of us. I'm just, I titled my commissioning this way, three different ways in which I believe Jesus is calling us. He's calling us at home and to the people outside our front doors. I believe that he's calling us to embrace the challenging, the things that really, really force us out of our comfort zone. And I also believe that he's calling us to reach the world by reaching the least reached peoples of this world. Talking about just at, our, at home and at our, outside our front door. The first thing I think about is our children. You know, those of you that have been blessed to be parents, the greatest task that Jesus has ever given us, that God has given us, is our children, is raising them and, and spiritually nurturing them so that they know and they're invited to make the decision to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that about 80% of people who come to faith do that as a child? And parents, you've got a great, great responsibility. In fact, we have it as a church. When we have child dedications, we, we commit ourselves to supporting those parents in that task. I think about our families. And just recently, I've heard stories of two different families uh, where one individual, one person came to faith. One of them was through a a life group that they were attending. Another one was through a friend. And having come to faith themselves, one by one have led other members of their family to the Lord. And, you know, and in both of those cases, there's still great challenges in their family still to be, to be done. I think of one friendship that I have, a relationship that I have. It's with an individual who 
has lost all of his hope in life. Went through a horrible divorce just a year and a half ago. And because of it, the, the pain and the offense and the anger that he's holding, he's just given up on life itself. And, and I share whatever I have a window of opportunity to share, and it's often not very big because if I say too much, I just feel that he's going to walk away from me as well, and I won't be able to have any more impact on his life. So you know what? Our families, sometimes it's great. The experience is wonderful. But as Jesus said, sometimes our families are the greatest challenges that we face. We've got our friends and our coworkers. And, you know, I just love listening to people who are engaging in our Alpha course. You know, people who have actually invited almost their whole staff, their coworkers, to come to the Alpha course. A few weeks ago when the current course started, us as elders, we were there just having our meal together with them and a young lady stepped up beside me and, and we were just filling our coffees together and she looked at me, she said, uh, have you got any idea what the Alpha Course is about? <laughs> I taught it for eight years in Fort St. John. I said, yeah, a little. I said, have you been here before? And she said, no, this is my first time. I said, oh. I said, well, how did you come to hear about the Alpha Course? And she said, two of my friends invited me. I said, you know what? You're going to have a great time. And I hope she's still at the course. And, uh, you know, the GLS, we've had co-workers, we've had bosses, we've had supervisors who've actually brought, you know, a bunch of their staff to come and attend the GLS. And the GLS, especially this year, was just a very powerful testimony of what the Lord is doing and an invitation to faith for people. I was, uh, just this last week, I, I joined, we have, it's called a boot camp that uh, Wayne Coughlin holds in the gym three times a week. Folks, that's an invitation. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've come out twice now, and I'm, I'm a sorry uh, example of somebody who's attending boot camp. But he and I were the only ones there yesterday, and so we were talking at the end. And, and, and Wayne pulled out his phone. He said, hey, Rod, I want, to, I want you to see this. He said, this is cool. He said, I... I'm the one that does the sign for Claremont. And he says, look at, look at what I put up. And so he brought up a picture, and it was a picture of Christmas time. He said, you know, uh, Merry Christmas. And on the bottom, God loves you. And he showed me another one. It was, Happy New Year. Jesus loves you. And he says, Rod, he says, I get to post this stuff. He says, nobody said anything to me about it. <laughs> And I said, you know what, Wayne? Just go for it. You know, just keep on putting that stuff up there. He said, because someone's going to see it. Someone's going to read it. So that's the world right on our front door. Then the next thing is embracing the challenging. You know, I have one of my very close friends. He's in our life group. We were talking together. And his son is in university. And his son, he were, they were talking together a number of weeks ago. And... He said, you know, what's it like in university with your faith? Because his son is quite outspoken. And, and his son said, because uh, he, he asked him, he said, you know, do, do you get a lot of resistance and persecution? You know, do you get called out for your faith? He says, well, Dad, it's, it's a lot worse than that. He said, I'm irrelevant. My faith is irrelevant. They don't care. There is so much stuff out there, Dad, that they don't care what I believe. What an indictment of, of our society and, and, and even of us as a church that there are people out there that just don't care. In fact, the largest, the fastest growing group 
related to religion, related to Christian faith in Canada right now is a group that's called the Religious Nuns. Now, that's not nuns, you know, people, ladies that wear hats and work in hospitals, but N-O-N-E-S. They are people that, that have at one point in their life, or maybe never at all, have had some connection to the Christian faith, but now they have nothing to do with it. They don't care about it. In fact, they're offended if you ask them about it, and they are completely secularized. That represents now 25% of our adults, 28% of our millennials, and 32% of our teenagers are in that group. And, you know, it's kind of discouraging looking at some of the statistics on it. They said 74% of those people are strongly opposed to anybody talking to them about religion, about faith, or inviting them into faith. But the speaker, and he was a speaker at Breakforth last weekend, he's actually a sociologist, Joel Thiessen, speaks at, uh, he's a teacher at Ambrose College University. And he said, but you know what, there's one sliver of hope. 5% of that group said that there is some chance that they would consider coming to church. And you know what was by far the single most powerful reason why they might come to church? They said, if someone would invite me, then I would think about it. And then in his survey, he asked another couple questions, and why would you stay at church? The number one reason that they said that they would stay at church would be if I was welcomed and it was a warm environment. Folks, I want to encourage you and I want to thank you because we have so many people who, who come and we get some of the Let's Connect cards from new attendees, new people that are new here with us. And so often, the story, the answer, the response we are getting from them is, I really enjoyed my morning. You know, people were so friendly. I was welcomed there. You're doing a good job. Thank you. You know, in Grand Prairie, I think one of the other groups that is one of the hardest groups right now <clears throat> is our young adults. In fact, our young adult males that are coming up here for the oil industry, getting jobs and spending their time out in the patch with, you know, lives that are just consumed with that lifestyle and work. And now Corey Shartner and Trina, his wife, they are working together with a core group of young adults right now, and they are trying to build that core group of young adults. In fact, just last week, the group decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to make one of the sections our section. So if you're a young adult here today and you're looking out for people that you might want to hang out with, um, just look around. Now, today's not a great representation because I think some of them stayed home <laughs> with our temperatures at 35 below. But that's one of our challenging groups. The Kairos course talked about that the world out there across the oceans, across the world, the world isn't just there anymore. They are now our next door neighbors. People from different cultures, different faiths, different contexts, they are living, they're working in the stores, they're working in our industries, they're working right alongside of us. And you know what? That's a challenge for us. And then lastly is reaching the world, targeting the least reached. I was on a website that Ruth Nilsson actually gave to me. It's called the Joshua Project. Go on that site. It's, it's really amazing and very interesting. Do you know that there are 17,000 people groups in our world today? And a people group is just a group that shares a culture. They may share a religion. They share customs. They share a language. Uh, they share ethnicity in many, many cases. And so there are 17,000 groups 
Of that 17,000, 7,000 of them are unreached people groups. And an unreached people group is classified as being a, a group of people that does not have enough people who have a faith in Jesus or they don't have enough resources to learn about Jesus for the Christian faith to grow in that community. So 41% of our world are unreached right now. That's a staggering number of people. Now, our global advance, that's our national ministry, it's our international arm of our Canadian and Missionary Alliance. And their task that they have accepted, their, their strategy is to go to the least reached places. I can say that 40% of our international workers right now are workers that are working in countries that have closed their doors to traditional missionaries. And so the people that are working there, we call them uh, creative access countries. And to get into them, you have to find a creative way to enter into the country. And then you may have the opportunity to begin extending the, the gospel through your testimony. 40% of our workers are in those closed countries. And we're continuing to send people to them. In our GPAC mission support, we now are sponsoring six families or six individuals. And of those six, two of them are in closed countries where you can be ejected, expelled from the country if, if you step out of line, if you say something wrong, if the authorities choose to, to basically close things down. One of our other missionaries is in one that's almost closed. That's kind of the context of our world today, and yet Jesus said, I want you to reach out to the very ends of the earth. Our GPAC youth, every year, they go down to Mexico, and they're going to be going down next year again and working with our church, one of our churches in Mexico City, so that they can extend the church there in Mexico City. We have a global impact team. Ruth leads that team. And they are involved in a number of things. I'm just going to mention two of them. One of them is right now she is working together with Ricky Zuba and Danielle Longson in the first service. I committed her sister Jamie to going as well because I got the name wrong. But <laughs> they, uh, they are going to be going to, to Laos and they're going with a trainer. And she's going to actually train them to become trainers of small groups. And when they come back, they are going to have the gifts and abilities to start training some of us in small groups and going out on small groups. And right now we are looking at, and Ruth is working on, trying to find a place for us to partner in the, in the country of Mexico. And we found one place in Tijuana area with one of our regional directors who's with the Christian Missionary Alliance to partner up. And so Stan Nilsson and Darren Tunkey are going to be going down kind of this uh, exploration trip to see about us sending teams. And we want to target an area and keep on sending team after team after team. And some of you may have the opportunity to be involved in that. So there are all kinds of opportunities. Next week, next month, March is Missions Month. And Ruth has got some amazing things planned. The Kairos course is coming. I wish that some of you would take that course just to expand our understanding. So in conclusion here, I talked about pilot light or full burner kind of Christians. You know, which one are you? Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? My second question is, are you going it on your own? Are you trying to do it on your own? If you are, I just want to encourage you, turn around, look for the Spirit and listen to Him. 
Are you willing to take steps outside of your comfort zone? Because if you are, Jesus will provide you with the courage. He'll provide you with the words. He will provide you with power to do it. And do you know what role Christ is calling you into for his ministry on the earth? Whether it's at home or outside your front door, whether it's going to the challenging and the hard, whether it is engaging globally, whatever it is. You know, at the very end of this text, the, the disciples were, were standing and they were watching Jesus as he went up into heaven. And, and two angels appeared and, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go up into heaven. My interpreter interpretation of that was they were saying to them guys you got a job to do get on with it I don't want to sound crass here this morning but friends we've got a job to do let's get on with it will you bow with me in prayer Lord I know I've just been kind of roaring through this stuff this morning but I pray Holy Spirit that uh, you're at work and that you will speak Lord use your word and the challenge that you bring us to be active, to be engaged in what you want to do in this world because Jesus, the book of Acts is still being written today through us as a church and through us as individuals and may we have a part in your great ministry. In your name, Jesus, amen.